Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 112 of the North American Outdoors Podcast. Not only is this the 112th episode, this is also the second year that North American Outdoors has been live with the podcast. My name is Heidi Rayo, and I'm coming to you from the great state of Texas. I find it fitting that today we're going to talk about hunting and fair chase. This topic is near and dear to me, both professionally and personally, especially raising four boys who have been submerged around the concept of conservation, good ethics, and hunting with fair chase. A quote from Teddy Roosevelt, who's also the founder of the Boone and Crockett Club, states that in a civilized and cultivated country, wild animals only continue to exist at all when preserved by sportsmen. An ethical code of conduct, that which was viewed as the right way to approach hunting, was a concept that originally developed in Europe. This did not, however, carry over with the settlers to the New World. America was the land of abundance and opportunity, a life of independence, free from servitude, and filled with promise, was there for the taking. All one had to do is be resourceful and take. How we hunted did not matter back then. There was no need or room for an ethical approach to hunting. Game was plentiful, and hunting was not for sport, but for survival and profit. In time, when enough land was cleared for reliable food crops and domesticated livestock, food securely became less of an issue for those living in more populated areas. These same human developments and decades of over-harvesting had left wildlife population in scarce supply. Hunters had to venture further and further into the wilderness to bag their game. 
the concept of hunting for sport began to develop at this time, as did the need to restrict the amount of game taken so it could replenish and there would be game to hunt tomorrow. This is when the notion of conservation first began to appear, and along with it, an ethical approach to hunting that showed restraint. By the late 1800s, unregulated sport and commercial market hunting had taken its toll. Wildlife was no longer abundant or even present in all but the furthest reaches of remaining wilderness. Sportsmen already knew what was happening, but the broader public was just beginning to take notice of the extinction of some species and the near extinction of others. The logical solution was preservation and protection, which included an end to hunting. Those closest to the situation had different ideas. Influential sportsmen who valued the game they sought and the spirit of the chase stepped forward. Most notably was Theodore Roosevelt. He formed a group of his friends into the Boone and Crockett Club in 1887. They addressed the rapid decline of big game populations on a national scale. Their solution was to promote a new system of natural resource called conservation. They promoted regulated hunting as the foundation for this new system. The earliest recorded usage of the term fair chase was adopted in February of 1888 in the fifth article of the Boone and Crockett Club's Constitution. At this time in history, there were no laws governing the taking of game for food or for sport. Water-killing deer, which is driving deer with hounds or pushers into lakes where shooters waited in boats to either shoot, club, or cut the throats of deer, was also widespread practiced, especially in the Adirondacks. Article 10 of the club's constitution declared that the killing of game while swimming was an offense for which a member may be suspended or expelled from the Boone and Crockett Club. Later writings by club members Theodore Roosevelt, George Bird Grinnell, and Aldo Leopold, who is the father of wildlife management, they articulated the term fair chase to the public through books and magazine articles. Most notable of these were the club's acorn book series on hunting between 1893 and 1933, Leopold's Sand County Almanac, and Grinnell's Forest and Stream magazine, which is now known as Field and Stream. Conservation was based on the fact that people need and will use natural resources, including wildlife, but this use would now have to be regulated and guided by science. For society to accept this new idea over complete protection, Roosevelt and the club began to promote another new concept, one called fair chase. If hunting was going to be allowed to continue, how it was going to be conducted and the character of the hunter now mattered. Fair chase became a matter of pride and status. It separated those who hunted for personal reasons from those who hunted for profit, such as the commercial market hunters. 
Fair Chase became a part of an overall conservation ethic. It defined a true sportsman as one who could kill game, yet use self-restraint and stand guard to ensure that wildlife populations would never be threatened again. It did not mean hunting was a sport like other contests, but rather participants used a sporting approach. Fair Chase defined the rules of engagement that elevated sportsmen to being highly respected members of the community, both for their skill as woodsmen and providers, but also for their commitment to something greater than themselves. Exploring deeper into Fair Chase, Just because something is legal, does it always mean that it's the ethical thing to do? Aldo Leopold stated, Ethical behavior is doing the right thing when no one else is watching, even when doing the wrong thing is legal. Personal choice are terms that you hear quite often in the world of hunting, game hunting, sport hunting, and conservation. Hunting itself is definitely a personal experience preceded by personal choices. Certainly, if something is illegal, the choice has already been made. It's not ethical. This doesn't mean, however, if something is legal, that it's always ethical, but there's exceptions. A good example today of something that is illegal, but many consider unethical, is extreme long-range shooting. Some hunters are secure in taking a rifle shot at a deer from 500 plus yards away. They practice at these distances and are confident in their equipment and their ability to make a clean, quick, accurate shot. They know their maximum effective range across all hunting conditions. Still, other hunters would never think of taking a shot at this distance even though it's perfectly legal. There is nothing in the game regulations about maximum allowable distances, yet many will not take that shot. Why? Some do not have experience with this type of shooting and all the variables that come into play. Others feel the risk is too high for wounding and therefore the practice is unethical. Others with the skill and confidence for the shot will choose to test their other skills and want to engage the animal by way of a closer stock. One exception to this question of legal versus ethical has to do with where we hunt. In different states, provinces, and countries, there are different traditional hunting methods that are legal and acceptable, but the same method can be illegal elsewhere. Baiting is a perfect example. The use of hounds is another. Traditions differ and traditions in hunting are important. It is essential and hunters are too few to waste our energy and resources fighting amongst ourselves over such differences. It is essential then that we accept these different traditions. The point is there are many things in the hunting world that are legal yet can be considered by some to be unethical. Something else to think about, is hunting a right or a privilege? In the United States, while the right to keep and bear arms is constitutionally assured, hunting is a privilege to be repeatedly earned 
year after year by those who hunt. It is well for hunters to remember that in a democracy, privileges, which include hunting, are maintained through the approval of the public at large. Hunting must be conducted under both laws and ethical guidelines in order to ensure this approval. That statement was by Jack Ward Thomas, the 13th chief of the U.S. Forest Service. Fourteen states have passed amendments to their constitutions, making it a right for their citizens to hunt, fish, and trap. It seems unnecessary that it would have to come to legislative action to protect these age-old outdoor traditions, but it has. Even the voters in a rural hunting, fishing, and trapping state like Montana are considering taking the same action. But why? The game has changed. More people are making it known that they don't like other people using, killing, or managing wildlife. These beliefs have been making their way onto state voter ballot initiatives to ban activities such as trapping on public lands, the use of bait and dogs in barren cougar country, or the outright ban of the hunting of these animals altogether. A big question that remains is will these constitutional amendments end the attacks on hunting and wildlife management, or are they just speed bumps for those looking to do away with hunting and trapping? The dangers lie in believing hunting is a right that is constitutionally assured. If this were true, anti-hunting groups would have been out of business a long time ago. Whether a right or a privilege where you live, we should all keep in mind that public perception in respect to hunting and hunters will continue to play a critical role in our future. If we and our traditions are viewed in a positive light, we can expect approval from others. Just as importantly, when someone is asked to vote for or against hunting or trapping, we should have had our best foot forward at all times. For simplicity of numbers, I always like to say there's about 10% of the population that are true hunters and nothing you can do will take it away from me because this is what I believe. On the other side of things, there's about 10% that are true anti-hunters, that nothing you can do will change their extreme views and you will never make them a hunter just as they will never make you an anti-hunter. What does that leave in the middle? That leaves a big chunk of that bell curve equaling about 80%. Of course, these are just random numbers. I'm sure the numbers are off, hopefully more to our favor as hunters, but that leaves a big chunk in the middle, about 80%. I tell people why this is important is that 80%, they have something that we want. It doesn't matter to them if people hunt or if they don't hunt. They may have never given it a second thought or a deeper thought. They buy their food from the grocery store. They leave people alone. People leave them alone. It doesn't matter. But what that 80% has is something that we want. And we talked about it a little bit ago. That's their vote. What we as hunters do, everything we as hunters do impacts 
everyone around us, both other hunters and non-hunters alike. It's in our words, it's in our actions, it's in how we present ourselves during hunting season and in the off season. Our uniform is camouflage. If we are going to a deer camp and we had a successful day in the field and we have a messy uniform on, we have blood and feathers and all other kinds of stuff on our clothing, think about going into town and going to the restaurant or going to the grocery store. You may be in a town that thrives on hunting season and they look forward to having hunters come into town. But you also may be passing through a city who may not be giving hunting a second thought. Think about those things when you are wearing your uniform that you're so proud of and you are a hunter and you're very proud of that. Pay attention to your appearance, your dress, your language, your words when you're among friends if you're going to a public place. You may offend people. Nowadays, that's real common as everybody's offended by everybody. But the point is, there's fewer of us hunters than there are of them non-hunters. Our words matter. So if we are always portraying a positive image, looking decent, cleaning ourselves up after the hunt, taking care of our game, not wasting game, following the rules and laws and regulations and bag limits and size limits and everything else that we need to do and we need to know as hunters to get a successful hunt. All those things matter because the public is watching and what we do and how we act makes a big difference because when it's time to vote, these hunting and trapping issues always make their way on the ballot. And slowly and surely, when the anti-hunting and anti-trapping measures are coming up, it's a slow chisel away at the sport that we love. So if they're in the ballot box, these 80%-ish non-hunters, if they have a positive encounter with a hunter during hunting season, that's what's going to come to mind. And they may vote positively for whatever ballot initiative there is. On the flip side, if they had a negative encounter or a really bad experience with somebody who claimed to be a hunter, how do you think they are going to vote if that's the only impression they have is a negative one through hunters? It's our job to police ourselves. It's our job to make sure that we're doing what we so much care about, hunt and hunting. We're doing it a favor. We are taking care of our sport. Or taking care of wildlife conservation through everything that we are doing. And we are taking care of the image and positive attitudes that are associated with hunting. We are doing our forefathers a continued favor by continuing the mission of keeping conservation and wildlife management, encouraging hunting, and maintaining the highest ethical standards of fair chase to all we encounter throughout North America and beyond. The Boone and Crockett is the oldest conservation organization out there. It is their mission statement and their passion to continue promoting hunting and conservation for many years to come. 
So let's say that you're finally going on that dream hunt, a hunt that you have thought about and wished about for going on as long as you can remember. You've saved your money and you've made many, many sacrifices throughout the years, knowing that it will be well worth it in the end. You did your research and you found the perfect guide or outfitter. You acquired the perfect rifle and you spent every spare moment going to the range to practice. Finally, your big day arrives and you are off on your long-awaited adventure. You meet up with your guide, you pack up your gear, and you are on your way to the backcountry. You get up really early every morning in search of that perfect bull elk, moose, bear, or whatever your intended target is. Eventually, you're within shot of one of the biggest game animals that your guide has ever seen. You make the perfect shot, making it the hunt of your lifetime. Your trophy is now at the taxidermist. Your taxidermist also tells you that it is one of the biggest animals they have ever seen. Now, all you need to do is wait the required drawing period to have it measured. It is truly a trophy worthy of the record book. You contact the Boone and Crockett Club to get an official measurement so that your trophy can be entered. The big game records of the Boone and Crockett Club are a set of wildlife and hunting data the club began to collect over a century ago. In the late 1950s, the club began to focus on tracking the recovery and management of big game populations in North America. Today, the records program of the Boone and Crockett Club continues to be a useful tool for measuring the success of wildlife conservation as its measuring system provides an indicator of age and habitat conditions for many species. Having sportsmen participate in this data collection system by voluntarily submitting their trophies is vital. Before it can be official, the Boone and Crockett Club representative hands you an affidavit to sign. The affidavit states that you followed the rules set forth by the club. You read the rules carefully before you sign the affidavit, and to your shock, your trophy is already disqualified. As of December 1st, 2021, the Boone and Crockett Club adopted a new set of rules that address issues of fair chase and the use of new technology. The affidavit the Boone and Crockett Club requires before any trophy is recorded is based on the principle of fair chase and the North American model of wildlife conservation. According to the Boone and Crockett Club, These new rules serve as a baseline, not only for fair chase, but also as a model for ethical hunting. Advances in technology happen very fast. As a result, game laws, hunting club rules, basic hunter ethics, and what is considered fair chase have a hard time keeping up. These new rules adopted by the Boone and Crockett Club are an attempt to stay ahead of new technologies that displace a hunter's skill with an unfair advantage of taking game. The technological advances which are now disqualifying for entry in the Boone and Crockett Club record book 
are any devices that allow two-way communication devices, such as two-way radios and cell phones, that guide hunters to game, artificial lighting, electronic light intensifying devices, such as night vision optics, sites with built-in electronic range-finding capabilities, such as smart scopes, drones, thermal imaging equipment, the use of electronic game calls, and the use of any technology that delivers real-time location data, including photos, to target or guide a hunter to any animal in a manner that elicits an immediate response by the hunter. The Boone and Crockett Club has determined that some technologies take unfair advantage of game. The club recognizes that some technological advances are the natural progression of some hunters looking for success. Some technologies do not hamper fair chase, and some advances only affect fair chase depending on how they're used. Every hunter should review these rules each year prior to hunting season to stay abreast of any changes or updates. That way, the hunter will be up to date on the latest information available to consider their trophy entries into the Boone and Crockett Club, the Pope and Young, or any other club they wish to be listed. Anything is possible. Even though you may never expect to take a game animal large enough to make the books, your once-in-a-lifetime opportunity may present itself when you least expect it. Every year, Fantastic trophies are taken in areas not known to produce massive game animals. These Boone and Crockett Club updated rules are, number one, the club believes that having another person on the other end of a two-way radio or cell phone to help locate or guide a hunter to game is not fair chase. Number two, The club believes that using any technology or device that allows hunters to see in the dark to harvest an animal is both unsportsmanlike and is not fair chase. Three, the club believes that rangefinders and scopes are critical for the ethical taking of game animals, but if the two things are combined into one device, such as smart scopes, it is a substitute for basic skills and undermines the hunting experience and is not fair chase. Number four, the club believes that the use of drones to take pictures or videos and transmitting the information live, whether scouting or during the hunt, takes unfair advantage over a game animal and other hunters and is not fair chase. Number five, The club believes that the use of thermal imaging devices is helpful in recovering wounded or lost game, but using thermal imaging devices to initially locate game for hunting is not fair chase. Number six, the club believes that any technology that delivers images in real time to a hunter and that hunter uses the information immediately, a few hours later, or even the same day, is not fair chase. And number seven, the club believes that the use of electronic collars is useful in keeping track of dogs used in hunting, but using the electronic collar on the dogs to locate bait up game is not fair chase. Make sure that you always check your state hunting regulations 
on the use of night vision, thermal devices, dogs, electronic collars, or any other information described in this podcast, make sure that you follow those rules so you're doing the right thing, the legal thing, and if you want to be considered for any of the record books, the ethical thing following the Fair Chase guidelines. Stay on top of the most current regulations and laws in the areas that you're going to be hunting so you can be responsible, legal, ethical, and if you're going to be in those record books, make sure you're following the most current rules on fair chase. There is no better classroom than the outdoors, roaming the woods and waters, and creating memories that will last a lifetime. This is Heidi Rayo, and you have heard another North American Outdoors podcast. Happy anniversary to North American Outdoors. For more information, visit NorthAmericanOutdoors.org and follow me on Instagram at North American Outdoors. Have a great day.